G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Before we pray, can I put together a few little puzzle pieces? Uh, a few little puzzle pieces which together, I think, I hope, summarise our theme or the theme of, of the Deuteronomy passage, at least for this morning. The first puzzle piece comes from the sheer intensity of Moses' prayer to God there um, later, late in that passage that we just read there in verse 23. Um, I'll read it in just a moment. How many of you, perhaps especially you men, because Moses a, a man in this, how many of you have pleaded with the Lord recently? You know, we, we all ask God for things. How many of you have pleaded with the Lord? Have a look there. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23. At that time, I, at Moses, at that time I pleaded with the Lord. O sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and Lebanon. But because of you, that is because of the people of Israel, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. In other words, no, Moses. Moses, who had led this stubborn people for God, stuck his own neck out, pleaded with God more than once for them. Moses pleaded. No, was the answer. Um, the second puzzle piece, that's the first little puzzle piece, the second puzzle piece, which is really the bit that links uh, pieces one and three, um, have a listen to this comparison uh, between what we've just heard and what we're about to hear. So this comes from uh, a bloke, Gordon McConville, and he looks at Moses' prayer there and he says, hang on, I've seen something very much like that somewhere else. I've seen that before. Uh, have a listen to this. He says, Moses' prayer has similarities with Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. Have a think on that. Moses' prayer has similarities with Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. Both are prayers that reveal the heart, though the head knows the answer already. And that, that, friends, is our theme, really, today, as we look through Deuteronomy. It sort of unites the, the three little windows that we have on human hearts and, and heads there. Uh, both are prayers that reveal the heart, though the head knows the answer already. And I wonder, have you earnestly desired and longed for and pleaded for and prayed for, yearned after things in your heart... All the while, your head already knows that the answer is no. Uh, McConville says that that should, that should point us, Moses' prayer should point us to this prayer of Jesus in the garden on the night that he was betrayed. So here's the third puzzle piece, just the prayer of Jesus that we've just referred to. Matthew 26, verse 37. He, uh, Jesus, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, and not possible rather, for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So how do we live where, in that space where our hearts yearn but our heads already know? Uh, and I'm not talking about sinful, um, wrong, yearning, covetous, evil, longing. I'm not talking about that. Um, I just mean when in your heart you would plead for a good thing, maybe a blessing from God that you know is in store in the long run. You already know, though, in the present that it ain't coming. How do we put that together? How do we live in that space as Christians? I think Deuteronomy, viewed through Christ, really helps us there. I think it has some wisdom there. And I think it also helps to shine the light on Christ. That's what we're looking at today. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you with a confession. Too rarely, our God, are we truly open-hearted with you? Do we bring our heart's desires and pleas and longings and yearnings to you? Too rarely do we lay it out before you, even though you already know the whole truth. Father, perhaps, perhaps it's for many reasons. Perhaps it's because we tend to think too little of Jesus and we get to imagining that in his perfection, he was immune to this kind of wrestling, this longing. We imagine him an, a, a, something of an unfeeling robot instead of a fully human, thoroughly real person. Oh God, whatever the cause of it, would you please move amongst us this morning that we might walk more closely with you in imitation of our Lord Jesus and that we might walk more openly with you in adoration of Christ, in admiration of him, with all thanks and praise in our hearts to him, our great saviour. And we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Deuteronomy, we've got three little vignettes, three little windows on um, heads and hearts, this tussle between heads and hearts. The first one, home is where the heart is. So last week, we left off the story, didn't we, with the tail end of Israel victorious in war, albeit a pretty disturbing one. Um, if you uh, missed that, um, and in, indeed, if some of the backstory you find a little bit troubling, grab, get on the website, grab our podcast, listen back to that story, because I'm not going to rehash it now. Uh, but nevertheless, God's people, under God's direction, crushed these two Amorite kings. That was the story, that was the terrain we covered last week. These two Amorite kings on the, I just need to do it the right way around for you, on the eastern side um, of the Jordan River. So Sihon of Heshbon, Og king of Bashan on the east side. Those kings 
and their armies um, and their peoples, you remember, the former occupiers of, of that strip of the promised land. Now, please note, please note, their land, that little strip of land so far, that is not the bulk of the promised land on the other side of the Jordan between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea. That is not the bulk of Israel's longed for, um, uh, yearned for promised land over on the west, but it's a start. It's a real start and that's the sense here, that's what we've stepped in on. And so now from verse 12, Moses is parceling up the land amongst some of the tribes there on the east of the Jordan. Uh, and you can imagine them there, can't you? With their ears, they're hanging on Moses' every word. But with their eyes, what are they doing? They're looking around. They're looking around at the actual hills and mountains and fields and seeing what lies before them. It's theirs, the promised land. It started to, it's started to become theirs, actually. Not just the promised land, their land, um, do you see? Not just their longing, but the longing of their parents before them and they never even got to have their heart's desire, do you see? The answer for them had been no. So what might sound to us today like a pretty drab, boring, monotonous, frankly, you know, geographically meaningless uh, list of names and places. Do you know the only fitting word that it must have been for them? Home. Home. Have a look, verse 12. Of the land that we took over at that time, I, Moses, I gave the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory north of the Aroa by the Arnon Gorge, including half the hill country of Gilead, together with its towns. The rest of Gilead and also all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, we won't... The details kind of, you know, they do seem to drone on a little bit to us. But, but you get this, this bit to the Reubenites... That, that tribe, one tribe, that bit to the Gadites, the tribe of Gad, another tribe uh, within Israel, this third bit to half of Joseph's tribe, you remember Joseph uh, and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, as the musical puts it, uh, Joseph uh, had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, the two half-tribes there, another bit to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, it's not much among 12 tribes, but for two and a half tribes, that was home. That was home and they were living in it. And I don't mean home like uh, maybe for us, yeah, but, well, the bank still owns it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't mean home like, yeah, but we're just renting. I mean, we're lining someone else's pockets at the present time. No, I mean home, yours, given by God kind of home. Look around at the land. It's yours to stay, to live, to enjoy but here comes the clash. Oh, two and a half tribes, I've just described your home to you. Verse 18, I commanded you at that time, Moses speaking to the people, the Lord your God has given you this land to take possession of it. But all of your able-bodied men armed for battle must cross over ahead of your brother Israelites However, their wives, sorry, your wives and your children and your livestock, I know you have much livestock, may stay in the towns that I've given you until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you and they too 
have taken over the land that the Lord is giving them across the Jordan. After that, each of you may go back to the possession that I've given you. And you can imagine the question in their hearts, can't you? How long's that going to take? Am I right? <laughs> you, you can you, you, you go, go over all of you fighting men, head over the Jordan with your brothers until um, they've taken possession of the land. How long's that going to take? You know, I'm looking right now at the patch where I want to plant my vineyard. Who's going to do that? The, the missus and the kids? I mean, we've been living in this tent, this tent that mum and dad made. Who's going to build a home, like a home for my wife and kids? I'm going to leave that to her? Do you see? In their hearts, do you see, they desired a good thing, but in their heads, they knew that it wasn't the time. They knew it wasn't the time. Their brothers had just put their necks on the line so that they could have land. Were they going to let them go over and fight alone? Could they live with themselves if they did that? So sometimes letting your heart enjoy even a very good thing comes down to a matter of timing. Sometimes it is not the time. No, more than that, sometimes it comes to a choice of serving self or serving others. Let's come back to that. Just hold on to that. That's vignette number one, window number one on this heads and hearts. We'll come back to that particular conundrum. Window number two is on Joshua's heart, actually. Again, very relatable. So Moses to be succeeded by Joshua. Joshua was the kind of, you know, the the leader elect to uh, carry the people of Israel into the land. Have a look here. Verse 21, as Moses now turns to Joshua. At that time, I, Moses, commanded Joshua... You've seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Now, I wonder, why does Moses need to say, do not be afraid? What is fueling Joshua's fears? Can you pick it from just those couple of verses? I think it's this, isn't it? These two kings, verse 21. You've seen what God's done to these two kings. Two down, but how many to go in those verses? All those kingdoms over there, do you see? And notice, over there where you are going, not we. Um, Because, of course, Joshua knows the next bit as well, doesn't he, about Moses, you're not going to cross the river. All those kingdoms which you will have to face, Joshua. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you, verse 22. What's the fear there? It's that you don't have what it takes, that you're not going to make it. Or maybe that God doesn't have what it takes and that you face now what no one should ever have to face and you feel so alone. Joshua out there without Moses at the helm any longer. And the temptation, of course, is to accept far less than God would have you attempt. Joshua, it's just to settle down on that side of the river where the two and a half tribes were. Maybe you can make 12 squeeze in there somehow. No, don't fear. Because your fear of failing is smothering 
you're longing for what lies ahead. Now, I know it's not quite the same, but I wonder, is there a parallel here? I wonder, um, sometimes that timidness that hampers our efforts as churches to reach the lost around us, do you know what I mean? And so the, the fear of, of um, failing, so we'll, it's just safer to stay put, not risk too much. Uh, as we try to reach the community around us with the message of Jesus. Just a little parallel. Okay, last window on the heart. So we've, we've already seen uh, the people, the two and a half tribes. We've seen Joshua and we've already seen this actually as well, Moses. Lastly, third quick vignette here. Uh, and this I think is the most relatable of, of all because isn't there something of this in every Christian life, in your Christian life? Um, that realisation for Moses, that he will die this side of the fullest experience of what God had in store for all of God's people. Isn't there something of that in every Christian life? The realisation that we will die this side of the full experience of our hopes and our dreams. More than that, we will die this side of the fullest experience of God's own promises to us. And in that, we're kind of all trapped this side of the Jordan, aren't we? Have a look um, at verse 23. At that time, Moses, I pleaded with the Lord. Oh, sovereign Lord, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over. Let me go over. And see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and wouldn't listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Don't speak to me any more about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west, look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes since you are not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So he stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. How does the old hymn go? On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Do you know what strikes me here? It's actually not God's refusal to Moses. Um, I mean, Moses, he's shortcutting some of the details here. God had a beef with Moses already. You can read about it in Numbers. It wasn't just the people. God had a beef with Moses personally. And yes, Moses was also part of the generation that fell in the desert as part of God's judgment. It is blunt, but it's not surprising. No, the thing, stepping back, that I find really remarkable here is the speed with which God moves, God directs Moses from himself to Joshua, from his own circumstance to the opportunity he has to speak into the life of this young man who has so much to face ahead of him. Moses' heart yearns for something that he knows he's not going to get. And so God now says... I want you to redirect your heart to someone who really needs it with the days and weeks that you've got remaining. 
Now, why is that remarkable? It's because I think we get to thinking sometimes that if there's no hope for me, you know, if I don't get to in, enjoy whatever that, then, well, I'll just see out my day. I'm kind of off the hook. I can roam around Gilead uh, in the sort of picture of the passage. If God won't let me into the land or not yet, well, I guess I'll just do whatever I see fit to do here at the present time. And perhaps our hearts drift from him or perhaps our hearts get caught up um, for decades even, captivated by other things. But God here in the same breath says, no, Moses, you can't come in. Therefore, Moses, I want you to spend every waking hour, I want you to use every remaining breath in the service of people who will outlive you, who will outlast you, who in a sense will outshine you. Is that a call to staggering service and other person-centredness? I think it is. Uh, Now, maybe you're thinking that I'm sort of pointing the finger wholly and solely at the older generation here, but I don't think so. Because it's uh, on all of us, is it not, that what our hearts long for in this world, we will yet have to wait for, and our heads already know it. No, I have a verse in mind from the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore, says Paul to Timothy, I endure everything for whose sake? I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, it's a call here with yearning hearts, yes, with heads that already know what's ahead. It's a call, do you see, to live for people outside of ourselves, not just for ourselves. To live for people even as we have to wait it out. Will we do that? Will we do that? And in Christ, I think we have a truly unique help in that as we move towards a conclusion. I think we have a truly unique help in that. I think we have a truly unique inspiration in that. I think we have a truly unique example um, in that. And it's from him that we draw power to do it. Uh, So we began with Christ's agony as he faced the cross with his mind made up to do his heavenly father's will but his heart longing that yet it might be done differently. Um, Let's close, not with the anguished heart of our Lord, but with the settled heart of our Lord. Settled not on terror or regret or hounded by fear, but on something else altogether. As Christ faced the cross, Hebrews tells us, joy, the joy of head and heart and mind and life, the joy of our Saviour spent for you and me and for those who are going to hear the gospel through us uh, and as long as it takes until he comes back. The author of the Hebrews, come with me to Hebrews chapter uh, 11, tail end of chapter 11 into chapter 12, if you're following along on your lap. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the author to the Hebrews, he starts off talking about all those godly believers who saw out their years, who've gone before us, saw out their years waiting and watching and serving and suffering. Well, verse 39 of chapter 11, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Chapter 12, verse 1, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Yet all the believers, all down through history, who brothers and sisters had hearts that yearn for more. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together, brothers and sisters. Yes, Lord God in heaven, we rejoice today that Christ counted it joy to suffer for us. He saw through the cross. He saw past the pain and the shame. Oh God, give us a dose, please, of that glorious perspective that sees a life well lived as one spent for others. Recognising this time of waiting and patience that we're in now, preferring what serves and helps others over what satisfies and helps only me. God, we do think particularly of those uh, perhaps here, perhaps amongst our friends, those whose hearts know no peace when they face the end of life, who don't know of Jesus' resurrection, who don't know that sweet assurance that we find in that anchor for our souls. God, we pray, please, have mercy on them. God, have us live lives before them of service that point beyond this short existence. May it please us to live as Christ. May it please us by your Spirit's work in us to live for Christ and for others in a way that, sure, it seems wasteful if this is all that there is, but seems beautiful and wonderful for those with the eyes to see over the other side to that distant and happy shore. Father, please do send us refreshment, though, in the task as we wait with longing hearts. Send us refreshment, even this week, perhaps as we face our own fears or misgivings or even our doubts. May your word, may your faithfulness, may your unchanging, saving work refresh not only our faith but our joy as well. May our hearts find peace in the gospel this very week in the name of Christ. Amen.